Thank you both so much for taking the time to talk to me today and for taking time out of your very busy clinical schedules to be here. I was wondering if you could talk to our trainees a little bit about what it was like for you personally and professionally to learn the material that you just presented. So honestly for me the prevalence of abuse in all facets of our society was really shocking. Um, I had no doubt then that we'd survivors among our own breast population. So the idea that I wasn't helping them emotionally cope through this process was really difficult for me. Initially I had this idealistic notion that I was helping all patients through RT. But when the realization came over me that I was not only not helping patients through their treatment, but my actions were triggering emotions from probably the worst, uh, most traumatic part of their lives. I found it quite devastating. Um, I really knew I had to get more informed and I was willing to help in any way I could. And it really reminded me to think of each patient as a Miss Jones and not just a three-field right breast. And Kevin, I was wondering if you could share your thoughts on the same question. Yeah, of course. Similar to Cloda, it's really made me focus more on the individual. I find myself looking into the patient's consult notes, demographics, answers on questionnaires they've answered previously. Really whatever I can find in their chart that sheds light on who they are past the cancer diagnosis. Then I kind of take these little pieces of the puzzle and design a personalized care path for that patient. It's really also translated over into my social life outside of work, where I find myself asking parents, family members, friends, going through similar situations asking them questions about their experience in healthcare. And I often get responses from them like, oh, it's funny you asked that, I thought I was the only one, or I thought I was only overreacting. When I assure them that it's not that uncommon, you get this sense of relief that you're not the only one. I don't know about you, but for me, working on this topic has also made me much more sensitive when I go to healthcare appointments, whether they are and are not doing these things, how often kind of there's things that could be difficult or upsetting with no explanation, no warning, no clear expectations. And I'm wondering if you've had a similar experience yourselves. 100%. When I go for just routine checkups, I'm now catching myself being like, why are you doing that? <laughs> <laughs> That's not sensitive at all. <laughs> so yeah, I think it makes you not only a better provider, but also a more informed consumer. Yeah. And it's also made me think about sort of what do I need to communicate to my providers to get my own needs met. And so I think that's important. I was also, Kevin, you know, picking up on something you said, it makes you start thinking, not just did I miss this person's trauma history, but once you start thinking about all these individual level factors, you may be realizing there may be so many parts of this person's life story. And it just makes you, I think, more interested in kind of all the nuances that makes us unique individuals. Definitely, yes. Yeah. So obviously this lecture focused a lot on potential triggers and challenges and um, potentially difficult, upsetting parts of treatment, cancer care for sexual violence survivors. And I'm gonna jump ahead a little bit. In future modules, we'll talk about how to help patients minimize or avoid those triggers. But I know that's some of the work you're doing every day in the clinic. And I was wondering if you could talk to me about some of the strategies you've used to help patients minimize or avoid triggering. Um, well, we actually conducted a survey in our own department of all of our breast patients going through radiotherapy just to learn about which part of the treatments would uh, really feel most triggering or upsetting for them. 
Um, so 30% of our patients actually stated that having all important treatment discussions with your physicians while in a robe actually really made them feel uncomfortable. And initially at Sinai it was our front desk staff that would greet the patient, give them a gown and show them to their locker and really direct them how to get changed. But now it's actually a therapist that comes out, greets our patient and gives all those instructions while our patient is fully dressed. This is for all of our patients' radiation now, not just for the breast patients that really had divulged this preference. So nearly 20% uh, wanted staff to ask for permission to uncover an area which is normally covered by clothing. We're really diligent about asking permission now before we uncover any patient. Uh, many patients also spoke about their discomfort with just the number of staff in the treatment room. We really try to minimize the number of staff present in any treatment room. We ask the patient's permission for any additional personnel. And Mount Sinai is an academic institution that has both residents and RT students, so this can be very difficult, but we really have to realize that the patient's needs come first. We know now that by asking patients what they want, what they fear, um, even what they need can create this individualized experience, but not only for the sexual violence survivors, but for all of our patients. So you've used these specific strategies that came from the data, but the overarching thing you've done most differently is asking the questions in the first place. I often find the best tool to use is time, giving the patient time. Mm -hmm. Time is something that we as healthcare providers focus on way too much in the wrong way. I totally understand the business aspect of the healthcare system. We want to be as efficient as possible. And yeah, for many patients, they want to just come in and out of the department, go about their day. But for a good portion of patients, they need that added time, the attention to the detail. Whether it's just talking in a certain tone, giving play-by-play -play for every action, keeping a patient as modest as possible from the moment they walk into the department to when they leave. Simple things like keeping the patient's nipple covered when exposing the entire breast, not dimming the lights, when we're walking in a patient, and arranging having a female staff member present when a female patient needs to be exposed. All these actions may seem like time killers, but I'll tell you, they actually turn into time savers. One's actions, if not done in a sensitive manner, can trigger a patient. Believe me, you're gonna spend way more time recovering from the situation. So really, I'd say sensitive practice is a win-win. Respect for the patients and good for workflow. So my last question for you is, what advice would you have for our trainees who are maybe just starting out on this sensitive practice journey, who maybe are coming from a background where there was really no part of their graduate or undergraduate education focused on trauma and working with trauma survivors? And you know, this is kind of a whole new world for them. So what advice would you have for them? the main advice that we would give is really get informed and really try to walk through your own daily processes with this new enlightened knowledge. Um, it definitely takes some initial workflow changes, uh, but just like us, you really can implement a workflow that will establish a safe environment, minimize re-traumatization, and provide really individualized care for each patient's needs. Um, several examples really stick out uh, with me over the last few years. Uh, we had one lady that really was terrified of the dark. In simulation, this is not a problem. But we realized on our verification day, we also had this very dimly lit room. But we really had to ensure that the treatment team were informed of this patient's concern. So we had this very quick huddle. We have really seen the benefit of this quick two-minute huddle really for this lady and have in fact implemented this sensitive practice huddle for all of our patients, not just for the survivor population. It has really improved communication for us about all of our patients' needs. I'd have to say, to be honest, it's a rigorous journey. 
and unlike most of what I've done and what you will do in your career. We've all studied the books, we've taken the exams we needed to set for the boards, and we've had a tremendous amount of practice with patients becoming the professionals that we are today. And like myself, you may think you've mastered your profession and you're awesome, you're great with your patients, <laughs> but then you take a course like this one and you realize that there's a whole different set of patients that you haven't been meeting their needs. But now you'll have the skills, you'll be able to maintain a safe and respectful psychosocial environment. And even though it may be awkward and unnatural at first, you get through it. Helping patients in need while minimizing or avoiding triggers during cancer care will be a high point in your career. My biggest advice is never become complacent. Always try to evolve, never just be okay with the care you're giving. Always move to the next step. Thank you so much, that's so great. And before we wrap up, I just have one more question, which is, you know, each of you mentioned that at the very beginning at first, it can feel a little awkward or there can be like, is this exactly my role? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? I don't know if you remember, but do you have any thoughts on how you overcame that awkwardness or what you said to yourself to kind of make it through that to where you're more comfortable now? Initially, I was just very overwhelmed. I have no uh, psychology background and I just wasn't sure uh, what I would say to these patients. I had no training and, and I certainly did not want to ask a patient about their sexual violence past. Um, but it really was an enlightening moment to find out it was really our processes. It wasn't the specifics of the abuse. It was really just understanding what type of environment was triggering or upsetting for these patients and then just implementing these to your individual workflows. This isn't really a psychology issue and it's not really a sexual violence issue, it's a healthcare environment issue. Yes. That's intersecting with that history, but making changes to the healthcare environment is totally in your wheelhouse. Exactly, and it's just all about treating the patient as a whole person, not just a simple diagnosis. Kevin, I don't know if you remember when you first came to this to now, how you increase your comfort. Practice makes perfect. Just do Sounds it. kind of corny, but you just got to fight through it. <laughs> you got to get through it. But you realize each, each and every patient you move along becomes easier. Thank you both again so much. I really appreciate you being part of this program. And um, I'm sure our trainees learned a ton from this discussion. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Jenny.